Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be starting a brand new teaching series this morning entitled Victory in Jesus. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org and on our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Yeah, we want to say thank you to those who have partnered with us with their tithes and offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. All the information will be there on the give page, and we uh, thank you for that. Well, let's, go, let's go ahead and jump on in to our, our teaching this morning. Excuse me, like I said, we're, we're starting a brand new teaching series this morning on victory in Jesus. And this is kind of just piggybacks on everything we've been teaching the last several weeks, the last several series. We're going to have many more to go along these lines, but this is a message that the Lord has put on my heart at this time to talk about the victory that we have in Jesus. For the most part, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians verse by verse in this study. From Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to the end of the, 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 the epistle and uh, Ephesians chapter 6. So we'll be covering most of uh, all of chapter 1 today and most of chapter, and most of chapter 2 today as well. But before we start, as we're talking about victory in Jesus, that's what we're talking about. We already have victory. We were born into victory in Jesus, and we'll be expounding on that as we go forward. But I want to, I want to launch off with two other verses. When I think of victory in Jesus, I also think of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And it says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us into triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. It's a powerful scripture. But a couple of things I want to just point out at the, at the get-go is that God always leads us into triumph. And that triumph is always in Christ. And because that's true, He, through us, His church, His people, His body, whom He has redeemed, whom He has triumphed for, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. He does, he, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge through us, me, his church, his body. But we're talking about victory in Jesus. And God always leads us into triumph in Christ. Always. There's no exception there. Okay? So we want to, we wanted to talk about that from the get-go. Also, another key verse from we talk about uh, victory in Jesus is found in First John chapter five, verses four and five. <coughs> Excuse me. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world: our faith. Who is, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So. The, the victory that overcomes the world is our faith in Christ. And Christ, and we always triumph, God always triumphs, leads us, leads us into triumph in Christ. Okay? Did I just start? So if you're born again, and you believe in Jesus, based on 1 John 5, 4, 5, you are a world overcomer. You are victorious through your faith in Jesus. We already have the victory. We have victory. We're born into victory. But like I mentioned, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. But I believe the book of Ephesians is God's plan of victory for the church. 
And when you study the book of Ephesians out, the first three chapters, you will see, it will describe how we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But the point I'm trying to make in, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, you'll see that Jesus already won the victory. Jesus already conquered the devil. Jesus has already rose from the dead victorious. And we begin from a position of victory. We start from a place of victory. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And then in chapters 4 and 5, we learn how to walk that out. Because we are victorious, because we're born into victory, we walk that out. How do we walk that out? We walk it out based on the premise that we are already victorious. And we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith, wherewith we're called. Not in the vanity of our minds. We'll get there eventually when we get to Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. We walk in the light. We walk in the love. We walk circumspectively. <coughs> and then finally, in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about how we stand against the devil. Okay? So, excuse me. So, a recap of the book, real quick, is that you begin from a place of victory. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now you walk that life out, that victorious life out, and finally you stand against the devil. But most of the church has that backwards. Most of the church believes and teaches that we first stand against the devil so that we can walk the life out in victory, so that hopefully we can gain the position of victory. That's backwards. We start from a place of victory, and because of that position of victory, we walk that victory out, and because we... Because of all that, we then are able to stand against the devil. You can't stand against the devil if you don't know you're victorious. And you can't stand against the devil if you're not walking that victory out. Okay? So we have that. You begin as a believer from a position of victory. So we're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians. We'll start with verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. But as we're walking through... Reading through the book of Ephesians, we reminded that, I'm sorry you might not know this, but at the same time, <coughs> excuse me, that Paul was writing Ephesians, Peter was writing First Peter. Okay, that was done at the same time frame. And while all this was going on, Nero was in power. You know, a lot of, a lot of you might, as we read this, Dave, what you're saying is true, but you don't know how wicked my, my country is. You don't know how wicked the world is. Well, you don't know how wicked Nero was. And that was a very wicked time, a very, someone who hated the church, who hated Christianity. Okay, and, and, and so Nero was in power at the time that both Paul was writing Ephesians, Ephesians and Peter was writing First Peter. Okay, so that's just kind of the backdrop of what's going on here. So, so anytime you want to bring politics into this, I, you know, there's already some politics going on in the backdrop of Paul and Peter as they're writing these, these epistles. So it started with Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And Paul, an apostle of, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing I want to just highlight real quick is that he's writing to the church. 
He's writing to the faithful in Christ. He's not writing to the world. He's not writing to Nero. He's writing to the faithful. He's writing to the faithful church in Christ. And second book, he says, In grace to you and peace from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just a nice little salutation, but he's beginning to his letter. Okay? He addresses it to the faithful, and he addresses it to grace and peace from our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to highlight, as we're talking about, <coughs> excuse me, when we're talking about victory in Jesus, we need to highlight this grace and peace to begin with. Grace. Now, excuse me again. So we already know that, most of us already know that grace is defined as a marriage of faith. And so, by grace you are saved through faith. Ephesians 2.8. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. But, so we can, we can define grace as God's divine favor. Divine favor in life. But grace is more than just divine favor, even though that's true. I'm not taking away from that. Grace is also our, our divine, God's divine influence. So it's not just His divine Favor, unmerited favor, you can't earn it, it's unmerited. But it's also his divine influence so that we can reflect Christ into the world. For instance, and I can bring many scriptures out to, to prove this point, but in Titus 2, 11, 12 it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. That denied in godliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in faith. God's grace not, is not only God's unmerited favor, but God's grace is his influence. He's teaching us. He's influencing us. His grace is teaching us. Okay? But not only is grace God's divine favor, and not only is grace God's divine influence, it's also God's divine ability. It says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. So grace is not just God's unmerited favor, his divine, his divine uh, favor, but it's also his divine influence and also his divine ability. So don't minimize grace as just unmerited favor. It's much deeper than that. Okay? And I, I want to echo on this again, but the grace of God, Paul saying this about himself, I am who I am by the grace of God. Everything I'm doing as an apostle of grace, as apostle Paul, he did by God's grace. And it wasn't, God, God's grace wasn't in vain. There was a labor involved. A lot of times when we think about grace, there's no labor involved. There was labor involved, but he said it wasn't, even that labor wasn't him. It was God's grace in him. That, with, that brought him to do the things that he did. It was all done by God's grace. Paul didn't just have unmerited favor. He didn't just have a, a divine influence. He also, because he was taught by God's grace, he also had an ability by the grace of God to do what he could do. And you can do. And you are influenced. And you, you have unmerited favor. You have divine influence. And you have divine ability by the grace of God. But he also says, to the faithful, grace and peace. So let's talk about peace just for a moment. 
Okay? First of all, we know that Paul, Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He goes on to say in verse 4, By which we have been given to us sin great and great precious promises, that through these, through these, excuse <coughs> me, we may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through us. So grace and peace, you know, not just peace here, but it's through this that we have all these divine promises. We have everything that's, that we need for change of life and godliness, that through, <coughs> me, through these promises we might be partakers of his divine nature, his divine favor, his divine influence, his divine ability, his divine nature in this world and overcome the lust of the flesh. Okay? And so, and, and, and the echo on that, we also know from the seven redemptive names of God, how God revealed himself to Gideon, is that he's Jehovah Shalom. He's the Jehovah our peace. And we find this in Judges chapter 6, verse 24. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called the place the Lord is peace, meaning the Lord Jehovah Shalom. To this day, that's what it's called. Okay? And so, and what does Shalom mean? If you say Shalom out in the Hebrew language, it, it, mean, it means peace, but it also means well-being. It means the Lord is my provision. The Lord is my peace. Um, I have adequate resources to do what God's called them to do. God was calling Gideon to rescue Israel, to be a judge over Israel, and to lead Israel to victory. And Gideon was wallowing in fear, in the wine press, threshing wheat, and here, here, uh, you know, God reveals Himself to Gideon. He says, "You mighty men of valor," he says, "I am your Jehovah Shalom. I am your Jehovah, not only your peace, but I'm also your provider." Okay, and so, so how do we deal with the, the limits? How we do we deal with the enemy? How do we deal with the limits of this world? How do we deal with opposing? our circumstances, and opposing people. We do it by knowing who we are. We do it by knowing that His grace and His peace that we have. We have victory because we have grace. We have victory because we have peace in our, in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So as we go through the study, we need to remember who we are in Christ. Because that's who He's right to the faithful in Christ. And we need to know who we are, that we are people of victory. We're born into victory. He goes on to say, verse 3, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, not going to be, but who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Excuse <coughs> me. And they have any places in Christ. Excuse me. So, and we're talking about victory in Jesus, not only do we have his grace and peace, but we are blessed. And we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We need to know who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. Because this blessing, every blessing we have is in heaven places. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have every blessing. We have grace. We have unmerited we have divine favor. We have divine influence, divine 
um, ability. We have his divine nature. We have the Lord Ashalom with us. And we have every, we are blessed with every blessing. We have victory. We have victory in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Not only do we have grace and peace, not only are we blessed with every blessing, but we are chosen. He said in John, you did not choose me, but, cho but I chose you, appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. We are chosen. And so we can ask anything in his name, and he will give it to us. We are chosen. We need to remember who we are. We are victors, victorious in Christ Jesus. I want to piggyback on this. I'm going to go away from Ephesians just for a minute. When Colossians says, In the body of Christ is special the death to present you holy and blameless and above who parts in his sight. Not only do you have grace and peace, not only are you blessed, not only are you um, blessed and chosen, but you are holy and you are blameless in Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus. Okay? God has an opinion of you, and that opinion of you is grace and peace. That opinion of you is that you're blessed. That opinion of you is chosen. That opinion of you is that by Jesus Christ, you are holy and you are blameless and are above reproach in his sight. In his sight. You might not be above reproach in man's sight, but you are in his sight. And his opinion of me is more important to me than your opinion of me. Okay? Uh, now he goes on to say in verse 5, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, a lot of people chuck up on this word predestined. And I'm going to make a statement here that, that might not sit with some of your religious thinking. Okay, and we all have a little bit of religion in us. So don't don't get all picky. Uh, don't get all uh, festered by me calling us religious because we all have a little bit of religion in us, including me. We all do. Okay, but not only are we we have the grace and peace. Not only are we blessed. Not only are we chosen. Not only are we holy and blameless in His sight. But I'm predestined to succeed. I'm predestined to be a child of God. To be an adopted child of God, I am predestined for that. And so with that, I'm going to make a statement that's going to knock over some sacred cows. But I believe everyone is predestined to salvation. Now, what I did not say, I didn't say everyone's saved. I said everyone is predestined to adoption. Everyone predestined to salvation. The, uh, our ultimate choice is in Christ. Even though we, I believe we are predestined to salvation, everyone has to make their own secondary choice to receive that sonship, to receive that adoption, to receive Jesus Christ. God will not violate your will. He will not overwrite your will. If he did, it's not love, and God is love. By grace, we are, salvation was made available to us. And we'll eventually get to that in second in, in Ephesians chapter two. Now, why do I say we're all predestined? Well, it says in Timothy, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
He says in Second Peter, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but it's long suffering toward us, not worrying that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. <coughs> so again, God desires all men to be saved. God desires all people to come to repentance. Is everybody saved? No. Is everybody come to repentance? No. Okay. He's predestined that, but not everyone has received that. Okay. You are predestined to succeed. You are predestined to be a child of God. You have a choice to receive that adoption or not. Okay. God wills for all of us to be saved. And we have to choose to receive Jesus and receive what he's made available to us. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot available to us in this adoption. There's a lot that goes with this adoption. There's an inheritance in this adoption. There's a blessing. There's a sonship with this adoption. He's predestined for all he's predestined all of us to adoption. But we have to receive it. We have a choice. He won't force it. He won't force us. We have we have will. Excuse me. We can be like the prodigal and leave. Or we can be like the prodigal and come home. Or we can be like the older son who's in the father's house doing nothing with that adoption. Letting, letting that adoption go to waste. Because we have never asked for the fat of calf. We have never asked to be celebrated with that man. We have just we just existing. And there's no relationship. Okay? Okay, I could spend a lot of time with that. But we are predestined to adoption according to the good pleasure of his will. It's God's good pleasure. It's his will that we all receive this adoption. Have all done it? No. But we've all been predestined to this adoption. It's not mandatory. It's not put on, you know, we misunderstand the whole word predestined. God has a destiny for your life. He has a purpose for you, right? He predestined your destiny. But if you don't tap into that, if you don't receive it, if you reject it, if you want nothing to do with it, then, then you can go live your life on your own. And all of these blessings that we're talking about in our victory in Christ Jesus, they're not yours. You can't tap into them. Okay? And so all these blessings come from God and from our relationship that we have. In Christ Jesus. So, in other words, this is the general will for all people. Okay? And God, but God also has a specific will for your life. And we are people of victory. We need to remember who we are. Those of us who have received Christ, we need to remember that we are sons. We have a sonship. Yes, our daughtership. Okay, don't get offended, ladies. Okay? We're talking about mankind. Okay? And so, anyway, I uh, hope that's blessed you. But he goes on to say, there's more. In verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Not only do we have his grace and peace, not only are we blessed, not only are we chosen, not only are we holy and without blame, not only do we have, are we predestined to succeed as sons, but we are also accepted in the beloved. Your friends may not accept you. Your church may not accept you. Your, your parents may not accept you. Your, your, your kids or your family may not accept you. But God accepts you. And you are adopted into a new family. And he, your father, accepts you. Okay. God, see, see, not only does that 
See, if God has accepted you in the beloved. God sees you in your full potential in Christ. I want to say that again. God sees you as your full potential in Christ. Wherein, through grace, we are accepted in this beloved. Because it's by His grace, the grace that we already talked about, that we are accepted into that beloved. We need to remember who we are. We need to remember that we have His grace and peace. That we have been chosen. That we are blessed. That we are holy and blameless. That we are predestined to succeed as sons and daughters of God. That we are that we are accepted in the beloved. And then he goes on in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. There's that word grace coming up again. Okay? And so we are, have redemption through his blood. So now, again, I'm going to keep repeating myself, but not only do we have his grace and peace, not only are we chosen, not only are we blessed, not only are we holy and blameless, not only are we um, excuse me, not only are, do we have are we predestined to succeed as sons and daughters of God and not only are we accepted in the beloved, but we are purchased, we are redeemed by his blood and we have forgiveness of our sins, all of our sins. I'm redeemed from every curse. I am redeemed from the slavery of sin. I am forgiven from every sin and uh, that is good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to remember who I am. I need to know that we are people of victory. That I am a person of victory. I need to remember where I'm going. And I need to remember I have been promised victory. In Christ Jesus. Let's build on this verse 8 and through 10. Which he made to abound towards us in wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. You know, Jesus is coming again, and one day we will reign forever with him. Okay. And this is awesome. There's much more I could expound on here. But um, let's go to verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined again, as I went predestined again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We're seeing the will of God, because that word will keeps coming up as too. We in him we also have an obtained an inheritance. Okay? So we we are blessed. We have His grace and peace. We are chosen. We are holy and blameless. We are predestined to succeed. We are accepted and beloved. We are purchased by His blood. We are forgiven of every sin. And we have an inheritance. God has invested Himself into us. See, there's something awesome about an inheritance. For example, if you had a father or a mother or family, or even a friend who had a will and they passed away, and you inherit that whatever is on the other side of that will, you didn't do anything to earn it. Okay? 
He just benefited from being a beneficiary of that will. And so we have an inheritance. And an inheritance is not something you work for. You just receive it. Some of you are working hard, so hard to receive something that's already been given to you. We, in him, we, also, we have obtained an inheritance. You don't have to work for it. You just need to receive it. Okay? Some of you are working so hard to receive an inheritance that is already been provided for you according to his will. Okay? You just need to receive it. He's, he's your testator. And he already died and rose again. But just looking at the, the death part of that, being that he has a will, you are the beneficiary of that inheritance. He already died. And so his inheritance is in full effect. He's your death certificate. You don't have to work for it. You just need to obtain it. How do you obtain it? By faith. Receive it. Rest. Receive it. Stop working. Stop, stop trying to earn it. You can't earn an inheritance. Okay? Because I want to say, verse 12, how we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in him who you and him you also trusted. After you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we are, we have his grace and peace. <coughs> Excuse me. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen. We are holy and blameless. We are predestined to succeed. We are accepted in the beloved. We are purchased by his blood. We are forgiven from all of our sins. We have an inheritance. And everything I just mentioned is sealed, preserved with the Holy Spirit of promise. This victory, this inheritance, this blessing, this grace, this peace, this, this acceptance of the blood, everything I mentioned is sealed, is preserved with the Holy Spirit of promise. We are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are called by His name. And we are saved by His grace. Preserved. Sealed. Right? My wife, Sherry, she will make preserves once in a while. Jam, jellies. And I know many people through the years have made you know, different fruit preserves. They put it in a jar and they seal it. It's airtight. It's preserved. It's sealed. So all of the bacteria, air, different things can't get to it. And so it won't decay. It's preserved. It's sealed. Okay? And so all this blessing, all this inheritance, everything that, that I described so far in my message this morning is sealed, preserved with the Holy Spirit promise. And <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of glory. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. We're going to get a new body, okay? We're getting, many more things are still coming, but we are preserved by the Holy Spirit. 
who the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Until Christ comes again. Jesus is coming again. But we are preserved by the Holy Spirit until he comes. That's awesome. We not only have victory, but that victory is preserved. Okay. Now, am I saying that we, can lose, we can't lose our salvation? Well, yes and no. I don't think you can lose salvation like you can lose your keys or you can lose your phone. You know, there's been many times, yesterday I was asking my wife where my phone was, and it was right in my hand. We can lose things, and that, that's actually pretty sad, okay? That tells you how tired I was yesterday. But we can lose things, we can misplace things, we can lose something. Like, whoops, I don't know how I lost that, I don't know how I misplaced that, but well, we can lose something. We can't lose it that way, it doesn't, it doesn't slip out of our hands like that. But we can reject it. And the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, and even the uh, Paul in the book of Romans, uh, I believe it's chapter 1, he deals with that. Okay? And I don't think that's something an immature Christian can do. I think that's something only a mature Christian can do when they can reject their salvation. And I'm not going to go into all that teaching right now this morning. I can, if you have questions about that, I can t t clear that up for you and I can share what I believe on that. I don't think you can lose it like, you know, where you just, uh, you just lose it overnight. But I believe we can reject it. Okay. And so, but I believe that we've been bought with his blood and we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And he is our guarantee of our inheritance until the rejection of the preacher's possession. To the praise of his glory. Okay. And so, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember where we're going. And we need to remember that we are promised victory. See, when we know who we are, and we know what he's promised, and we know what we have, and we know what we're called to. It will affect how we pray. We'll pray differently. I now that I know a lot of this stuff over the last few years, I pray differently. I pray with authority. And we already read a verse from John that when we when he chose us, that we ask anything in his name, he will do it. But we're also reading what Paul wrote. And Paul, in this epistle, he prays twice in this epistle. Here in chapter 1 and again in chapter 3. A few years back, I did a, a message on the four prayers of Paul. Paul prayed more than four times. So people will come back. Are you saying, Dave, so Paul only prayed four times? No. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. But there's four prayers that we can study in Paul's epistles. And one of those is found in Philippians chapter 1. One's found in Colossians chapter 1. Another one's found here in Ephesians chapter 1 and again in Ephesians chapter 3. And one thing I like about these prayers of Paul, and I think this first one in Ephesians chapter 1 is my favorite of the three, of the four. Ephesians chapter 3 is probably my second favorite. Okay, we're going to get to that eventually. But these are powerful prayers. And we can hear the heart of Paul as he's praying for you, as he's praying for me, as he's praying for the church. Okay? And I believe it behooves us to listen how Paul prays. How he prays. And so we pick it up in verse 15. Therefore I also have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Okay? That the, and this is how he prays. At least in this first prayer that we're going to highlight, that the, the God of our 
our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Where? In the knowledge of him. Paul prayed that we would know Jesus, that we would have a knowledge of him, and that we would, and in this knowledge, we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. My prayer for you, and my prayer for myself, is that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the, in the knowledge of Jesus. Okay? I know I can't hear your amen over the screen through the technology, but I believe that. And my prayer is that based on everything he's already prefaced this letter with, in the first uh, 16 verses of this letter, it's been powerful so far. And the things that he's mentioned in these previous uh, verses have not, have not get you excited, have not encouraged your faith, your wood and wet. Okay? But Paul prays that we would have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Okay? He says, I want you to get your direction from God, from Jesus. I want you to know him. I want you to see Jesus. And I want you to know who God says you are. And I want you to know what God has called you to do. And no matter what you've done, however you might have messed up, I believe, according to Romans 11, 29, that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Okay? If you're living in sin or different things, there's some things need to be changed, absolutely. Okay? I'm not condoning all that behavior. Paul, in his book, in the book of Romans, all of his letters, he deals with that. Okay? If you're living in sin, you forgot who you are. And you're on the road to being a reprobate. If that's the way you're living, you're on the way to being a reprobate and rejecting God's salvation. You are on that road. And you need to get off that road. You need to get off that path. Okay. But that's, that's a different message for a different time. Going back to verse 18. He prays that, But the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints. I want to back up again verse 17. I want to do this. Paul prays that you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, and that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, that you may know, that you know, that you know, what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints. He just talked about his We have a calling, and that calling is irrevocable. Okay, you have a calling. You have an invitation to do something for good, for God, something big. Okay, because I want you to know Him. I want you to know what God has called you to do. What God has inherited. What God has invested into you. There's riches, not just money, but not excluding money, but there are riches of the kingdom of God that have been invested into you according to his will. God has invested himself into you. That's the best blessing of all. That's the best inheritance of all. Because he's your peace, he's your provider, he's your salvation, he's your Healer, he's your banner, he's your victory, he's your righteousness. 
He's so many things. He's your all in all. God wants you to know him. God wants you to know what he's called you to do. God wants you to know what he's invested into you, including himself, so that you can get the job done. You can't do what he's called you to do if you don't know his inheritance. If you don't know him, and if you don't know who he is and who you are in him, you can't do what he's called you to do. Because you can't do it. You can't do it in your own strength. We already read how Paul says, I am who I am, and I've done what I've done by the grace of God. And if Paul couldn't do it without the grace of God, who do you think you are? Okay? Because it says in Isaiah that my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways are your ways. It says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. He says in Jeremiah, for I know the thoughts I have towards you, because the Lord are thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. The King James says, an expected end. His plan for your life is better than yours. And I believe by the grace of God, I have everything I need to do everything God has called me to do, and I have no lack in any area of my life. I am blessed and highly favored of God. I simply need to believe it and receive it. I'm highly favored of God. There's no lack in any area of my life. The favor of God surrounds me. Wherever I go, I'm living under an open heaven. I'm blessed. I'm chosen. I have his grace and peace. I'm holy and blameless. I've been <coughs> destined to succeed. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm purchased by his blood. I'm forgiven. I have an inheritance that's incorruptible. I'm a child of God. He's called me by his name. He's called me to do something great. And he's given me a great inheritance. He's given me a great calling. I live from victory. He's praying for you. He's praying in this, in this epistle. He's praying <coughs> that you would know him. That you would know what he's called you to do. And what he's invested. What, what inheritance you have in him. He wants you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants you to know the hope of his calling, what he's called you to do, what he's inviting you to. He wants you to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what he's invested in you. He also goes on, he says that he wants you to know the seeing greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The same power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also now is to come. God wants he, Paul wants us to know this power, the same power to raise Christ from the dead, the same power that's over every principality and power, no matter if it's wherever it's at. You're going to run to the devil 
once in a while while you're still on this earth until Jesus comes. Why? Because Satan is still the god of this world. And some people are still following him. Okay? But Jesus is seated in heavenly places and we are seated with him. We'll get to this verse in just a moment, but I have to throw this in here. To me, this is one of the key verses in this whole epistle. Is that, and he's raised us together with him. And made us sit together in heavenly places with Jesus. Where is Jesus right now? He's on the right hand of the throne of God. Against all principalities and powers. He's made everything his footstool. All of his enemies his footstool. And we'll get to that in just a moment. And while he's sitting there, he's interceding for you. He's praying for you. That you know who you are. He knows what you've done. He knows what he's called you to do. He knows, he knows what he's invested into you, his inheritance. And you know who we know the exceeding greatness of his power for those who believe. Again, what is the exceeding greatness of his power for those who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Which he worked for Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand. Far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also now in the COVID. And anything else that's still to come. He's put all things underneath his feet. Underneath his power. There's nothing in this world. And there's nothing that's coming into this world. That he is not far above all every power and principality. You are born in the victory. You have victory in Christ Jesus. And so, that's awesome. And so, Satan is under, under his feet. Satan is under our feet. And he's praying for us with this victory. And not only with that, he's also given us power of attorney. The power of attorney to use his name. Authority in the name of Jesus. To do what he's called us to do. We have the power of attorney to do everything God he's called us to do. See, when you're in a crisis and you need prayer, you don't need to go on the prayer lines and get 10,000 people to believe with you. You just need to reach out to two or three people who know how to believe God. When you need prayer, you don't need need to reach out to 10,000 people. You just need to reach out to two or three people who know how to believe God. Who know who they are, know what it's called, know the Word of God, and know how to pray. Know their authority. Because there is victory, there is power, then there is authority in Jesus Christ and our redemption that we have in Him. There is power, there is authority in His grace and His people. There is power and authority in every blessing He's given us. There is power and authority and that's being chosen. There's power and authority of being holy and blameless. There's power and authority in us being chosen and being accepted in the beloved. There's power and authority in us being purchased by his blood and forgiven of his every sin. There's power and authority in everything he's given to us in our hands. There's power and authority in Christ being risen from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. We're going to have problems in this world. But we believe God. We're not telling God about our problems. We're telling our problems about our God. We're not born. We're not trying. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory, and there's a difference. 
We're, we're born into victory. We start from the position of victory. We're not trying to obtain it. We already have it in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, in fullness of him all who fills all God. He's put all things underneath his feet. Well, his feet is his, is his body. And I don't know about you, but my feet are not connected to my head. They're connected to my legs, they're connected to my torso, and they're connected to my neck that's connected to my head. So if he's put all things underneath his feet, he's put all things underneath my feet, which is his body. And I'm just a member of his body. Okay? I, me, myself, and I do not represent his body in and of itself. We are the unit. See, my arm doesn't represent my body in and of itself. It's a member of my body. Okay? <coughs> my body includes everything. My arms, my legs, my toes. Okay, everything about my body is my body. A unit. It's not a dismembered body and it's not a beheaded body. I'm not decapitated. You behead the body, you kill the body. Jesus is the head, but he's connected to the body. And we are we are the body of Christ, a unit. It's not a building, it's not an organization. The body may well in a building, and there might be an organization, there might be some organ a body should be organized, everything should be done decently and in order. Okay? But it's a body. There's a system. I have a nervous system. I have uh, 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 all kinds of systems in my body. But it's a body. My nervous system by itself is not the body. Okay? And my body without a nervous system is a, is a body that's probably paralyzed. And many other things. But the whole body, the whole system is supposed to work. With the church, we are alive in Christ. And he has put all things underneath his feet. And to him, he put all things underneath his feet and gave him, Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church. Which is his body, his fullness. The body, see, the, the, the head is not the fullness. The head with the body is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Keep it in context. Okay? I'm not saying we're God. I'm saying he's the head of us. We're the body of Christ. That word of is huge. We're the body of Christ. And we are blessed. We have grace. We have peace. We are accepted in the beloved. We have an inheritance. We are holy. We are blameless. We are predestined to the seed. We've been purchased with a price. We are the righteousness of God in him. We, not you, not me, even though you're included in we, is plural. We are the righteousness of God. We are the body of Christ. We're not fighting among each other. We are fighting from victory, not for victory against an enemy. But we don't fight the enemy until we know, first of all, who we are. And we learn how to walk in this victory, and then we stand against the enemy, not wrestling against flesh and blood and principality and power. We don't need to wrestle with them. We are already over them. They're our footstool. He has put them under.
underneath our feet. Why? Because of the finished work of the cross. Okay? Some of you are acting, fighting on one another, as if Jesus accomplished nothing. And according to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to get there, they're grieving the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is your seal. Let's go back here. They're guaranteed. He's your seal. And when you fight with another, you are grieving the seal. You're grieving the one who has not only given you an inheritance, but he's given your brother and sister that same inheritance. As God told uh, Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. When you're fighting with one another, you're cursing yourself. Stop it. It's foolish. It's a fool's error. Anyway, we'll spend more time with that later. This is where we were. Okay. Hopefully this is making sense so far. We've got about 15 minutes left. Let's see how we get here. Um, so, you know, a couple of things I want to, want to mention here, too, is that, um, I forgot to mention this earlier, so I'm going to go back to my notes here real quick. We've been purchased by His blood, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we've also been called by His name. I mentioned that just a few minutes ago. Um, I have a little point here. Um, we're bought with His blood, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, we're called by His name, and we're saved by His grace. Okay, we're called by His name. We have the power of eternity to use His name. He's put all things under our feet. We are a body. Why can we use His name? Because we're His body. My body can use my name. Okay? My DNA is all throughout my body. Okay? <clears throat> anyway, I, I, I could go a lot of different directions with that. But, you know, you know, of his fullness we've received, grace for grace, and when we know his love that surpasses knowledge, we're filled with his fullness, the fullness of God. You know, one of the, you know, this is a little side point, but I brought it here and I put it on the screen. But in Acts 1 1, see, Luke wrote the book of Luke, and then his, his sequel, he wrote the book of Acts. And this, the book of Acts is, uh, let me take out the screen real quick. The book of Acts is after the finished work of the cross. It includes the last portion, which is his ascension. But Jesus already was born, he already died, he already rose again. And then Luke writes a sequel called the Book of Acts. And he starts off the book by saying, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Jesus already rose again. He already died and rose again. And he said, Jesus began to do and teach. Everything that Jesus did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was what Jesus began to do and teach. You know what that tells me? Jesus is still doing, and Jesus is still teaching. Because that was just the beginning. And you know what Acts 29 says? <coughs> Acts 29, you won't find it in your Bible, because the last chapter that you'll find in your Bible is Acts 28. 
But do you know what Acts 29 is? Acts 29 is you and me. Doing. Allowing Jesus to do and teach through us, his body, his church. In other words, there's no conclusion to the book of Acts. It's still the Acts of the Apostles. Jesus is still doing, and Jesus is still teaching. Because everything that happened in this prequel was just the beginning. We're still in the sequel of the book of Acts. We need to keep believing Jesus. We need to keep beholding the prayers of Paul that he prayed in Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians. That there's no lack, there's no weakness, there's no inability in the body of Christ. We need to know who we are. We need to know, first of all, who he is, who we are, and what he's called us to do, and what he has invested us to get the job done. We are people of victory, we're promised victory, and we are um, positioned in victory. When I was Ephesians chapter 1, let's tap into Ephesians chapter 2, we won't finish here. But Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the court of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of of disobedience. In other words, I was dead, I'm now alive. I was in darkness, but I'm now in the light. And, um, it, you know, this kind of echoes, you know, if I go here, we're made alive. And we were made blind to the light. How are we by light? Because whose mind, the God of age is blinded, who do not believe less the light, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, to shine on them. How did we come to the light? Because the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shined in us. And this gospel is not an it, it's a who. The gospel is a who. I feel like, I feel like I'm Dr. Seuss here, but the gospel is a who. It's not an it. And when the gospel of Christ of the glory of Christ shines on us. And we believe it. And we receive it. We are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the, the kingdom of his dear son. Into his mother's light. Okay. Verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were, not are, but were by nature children of wrath, children of that's who we were once. We're not there anymore. That's not who we are anymore. We've been crucified with Christ. No longer are us who live with Christ who lives in us. In other words, I was going to hell, but now I'm going to heaven. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing grace that we have. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespassed, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Again, echoing that amazing grace because of his rich, rich mercy. Do we deserve it? No, you can't earn mercy. You can't earn grace. 
If you can earn it, it's not grace, it's not mercy. It's mercy. And His mercy is new every morning. <coughs> Even when we were dead in our trespasses, on our way to hell, He made us alive together. Together. Together, Him and I. Together. Okay, the body. We're together with Christ. We're together with Christ. And yes, we're together. I've been talking a lot about this uh, horizontal, but I want to emphasize this vertical more. Because we're together. No matter what other people do, we're, we're together. Because when even when I was dead in my trespass and sins, people might reject me, but God was rich in mercy. And by grace, I can say, it's unmerited favor. It's mercy. Okay? And verse 6 is the key verse of this whole passage. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where's Christ? On the throne. He's the king of all kings, lord of all lords. He's our commander-in-chief. He's the king. He redeemed us by his blood, and he's made us kings and priests to our God. The reign of the Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, 10, where I kind of quoted there. Okay? But Jesus is sitting on the throne. Where are we sitting? With him. Where, what's the title of this message? Victory in Jesus. Why is Jesus sitting down? Because the work, <coughs> excuse me, the work has been done. He's resting. He's sitting. He's praying for us. Okay? He's reigning on his throne. And where are we? We're sitting together with him on his throne. We're not fighting for victory. We have the victory. We are sitting with him on his throne. We are heirs of God and we are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. That's why we're sitting with him. We're co-heirs. Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. We're adopted. We're, we have an inheritance. We have been reborn. Into victory. We're in victory. In Christ Jesus. That's where we are. This is not just a cliche. This is reality. This is more real than the flesh that you can picture on your skin. This is real. You are in victory. You, are, you have to live your life like you are sitting on his throne with Christ. You need to have a kingdom mentality. That's who we are. And we begin our Christian life from this position. The moment you were dead, going backwards, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you, the moment that you received Jesus, you were sitting, you've been sitting with him on this throne. There's not a progression here. You, you are translated, transformed from this position of being dead in your trespasses to being together with him in Christ. 
You are born, reborn, regened. We'll get into that in just a minute. You've been regened to this position. Okay? You are in victory. You're not trying to get it. You already have it in Christ. Stop acting like Christ did nothing. He goes on to say, verse 7, that in the age that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are in victory. That in the ages to come, <coughs> he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. This is awesome. I, I'm pausing not just because I was coughing. But I want this to sink in. You were in your trespasses and sins. You received Jesus. You're sitting with him together in heavenly places. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Grace. We established that. It's not just his unmerited favor, his divine favor. But it's also his divine influence and his divine ability. You're blessed. You're chosen. You're holy. You're blameless. You've been predestined to succeed. You've been accepted in the beloved. You've been purchased by his blood, forgiven of all your sin. You have been given a great inheritance, the kindness of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. And this all leads to very famous verses. For by grace you've been saved. Saved. So-so. Meaning wholeness. Healing. Deliverance. Prosperity. Forgiveness. All that is the kindness of his grace towards us. Because of his salvation. We were dead. We've been placed an authority on this throne. We've been repositioned into victory. That he might show the kindness of his grace because it's by his grace you have been saved. Through faith. And it's not of yourselves. No, you were dead, you were dead in your trespasses. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. It's unmerited. You can't earn it. It says in John 3, Titus 3, 5, excuse me, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. I love that word, regene. We've been regene. You know, sometimes we read by these words real fast and we don't, we don't take them in. Some of us have to have even a hard time pronouncing them, let alone even knowing what they mean. We've been regene. We all have a gene. We all, and there's only two different kinds of uh, genders, male or female. We either have an X chromosome or a Y chromosome. But we all have a different DNA. We all have different finger, fingerprints. Our genes, our natural genes come from our mom and our dad, and those genes come from their mom and their dad, and their genes come from their mom and their dad. And that's how we get the family tree. 
but we've been redeemed. And no disrespect to my mom and my dad, but my dad is no longer my father. God is my father. I have been redeemed. And there's no sickness in the blood of Jesus. <coughs> there's no lack in the blood of Jesus. There's no curse. There's no sin. There's no lust in the blood. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. And from this regime, I am sitting together in my father's throne with my brother, my older brother, Jesus. That he may show me the riches of his grace. That I may ask anything in his name. Picture this. How many times did Jesus say, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. We are sitting on the throne with Jesus. And we can ask anything in the king's name, in the name of the person's lap that we're sitting on. We're sitting on Jesus' lap, and our Father is sitting right next to us, to the left of us, because we're at the right hand of God. And we can ask anything to the Father, our King, in whose name's the lap that we're sitting on, because we're sitting together with him in every place. Okay? So we've been regained. We've been regained. We've been regained. Let that fit in. We've been made new. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. I have a new genealogy. And it starts with my father God. And older brother Jesus. I'm, it, see, it, it's going back here. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Therefore, I, I can't talk. I can't boast. But I, I, it has nothing to do with me. It's for me. It's been given to me. I'm blessed. I've been shown grace and peace. I'm holy and blameless. I'm chosen. I'm accepted in the beloved. I've been given inheritance. I've been purchased by his blood. I've been forgiven. I've been predestined to the seed. I've been given all this grace and mercy. But it's not about me. It's not of myself. I can't boast. It's all about Jesus. I've been rechained. I've been rechained. <laughs> My genealogy changed. It's not about me. Paul says we don't know man. <coughs> we know no man after the flesh. Even Christ. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have become new. It's not on my, I can't boast about me. I didn't do, all I did was I believe and receive. Remember Ephesians chapter 1, 2 and 3 is all about this. In chapters 4 and 5 we learn how to walk it out. And we're going to get there. There is a walking out of who we are. If you're a Christian, then live like one. Be one. You're not trying to become one by what you do. You are be, you're doing what you who you are. But you can't live like who you are if you're still trying to figure yourself out. Three chapters, he talks about who we are. And then he spends two chapters about how to walk it out. And we'll get there, chapters four and five. And then one chapter. Based on knowing who we are, 
and walking it out, we finally, my brother, stand. Stand. Against the devil. But some of you are trying to stand and you don't know who you are and you've not been walking it out. And you have no leg to stand on. Because it's not of yourself. It's not of you. Okay? It's of Christ. You have no leg to stand on. Okay? I can't boast. I'm not better than Jesus. We need Jesus. And then we need a destination. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. We're going to get into that walking in in chapters 4 and 5. We're still in chapter 2. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We've been created not by good works, but for good works. There's a difference. Okay? God ordained you to do a work, a good work, since before the foundation of the world. He has a destiny. He's predestined you in Christ Jesus. But you can reject that. You can do your own destiny. And without Christ, without Christ, it's not a destiny. Without Christ, it's called damnation. Amen or me. Okay? See, it says in 2 Timothy, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. I want to say it again. It's not of our works. It's not of our boasting. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good of the works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Tying that in with 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. We're not holy based on our works. We're holy, holy based on his grace and mercy. But according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Before, when, was it, when was it given to us? Before time even began. Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. He saved us. He called us with a holy call. Not according to our works, but according to his grace in Christ before the foundation of the world. So that we would walk in them. We're people of victory. We've been promised victory. We've been born into victory. We pray in victory. We're not praying for victory. We're praying in victory. We're bought with his blood. We're sealed with his Holy Spirit. We're called by his name. We're saved by his grace. Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus has already conquered the enemy. By his grace I entered into the victory he's already won. Through faith, I received the victory that he's already won. We're going to keep believing Jesus. We're going to keep sharing the gospel. Jesus is Lord and living in me and living in you. Keep walking in the victory that Jesus has already won. Amen. Well, we'll come back and we'll pick it up here next week as we're talking about Victory in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Carlos. Talk to you soon.